0: What's going on ladies and gentlemen, this is muscle. And this is another two line music cuts, entertainment report podcast. And today we have a really special guest in the building. Listen, this man is a singer, he's an actor, he's a songwriter. He's a broadcaster. Listen, this man has done so much things in the music business. Plus he was one of the main members of Aswad. you know, we have in the building today, we have Brinsley Ford in the building today. What's going on, big boss.
1: Muscles, I'm good, man. Um, so please, you've asked me to do this, uh, to uh, just to have a nice chat with yourself and the Toronto, well, the whole of Canada, massive.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us here in the Entertainment Report podcast today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. All right, definitely. Well, you know, on this podcast, we like to go right from the beginning and bring it right up to 2023, and I know with you, you've done so much, so we're gonna see how much ground we could cover in this conversation here. So my first question for you is this. I knew you you were born in Islington, London. That's where you were born? hmm Yes. True. What, what was it like growing up in Islington at that time there? I
1: didn't. I, I was born there, but I didn't spend time there. Uh, we moved straight to Brixton. I believe it was Hater Road in Brixton. And then later we moved to uh, northwest London, so okay. um, yeah, Islington was just a you know a quick a quick move. <laughs> so where where do you grow up more, Brixton? Um, I grew up more more than northwest, more northwest, out of the Wilsden, Harlesden, that kind of area, <laughs> and then later on, of course, Lambeth Grove. Okay, what was the area like growing up then? What was the area like? Um, It was early days. If I can say in those days, there were no inside uh, bathrooms. All the toilets were outside. Um, There was no plumbing. uh, So, you know, you used a tin bath. Mm -hmm. Um, We were really fortunate. My father, more than likely, was the first inside bathroom on the street where we lived. Um, and he went further and did his own, um, central heating. So from an early age, um, we had inside toilet, inside bathroom. Um, the, uh, the area was, what can I say? Um, you know, if you see the old, the old footage of, of London, I mean, I remember in the early days going to school, there was a lot of fog. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of fog. My mother would always wrap my mouth and give me uh, sweets and stuff to eat. Um, yeah, it was uh, was a different place. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and do you have any brothers and sisters that you grew up with? Uh, yeah, I have, uh, there is uh, seven of us in all. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously I have six brothers and sisters uh, my eldest sister. Um, unfortunately, we've lost her, but all the rest are, are here. And uh, it's a big family, big family. And you were the oldest, youngest,
0: in between. Where where did you fall when it came to your siblings? Uh,
1: no, I fall third. Mm-hmm. I fall third. And um, so, yeah, I, as you know how it is with uh, Caribbean families, when you're young, whether you're a boy or girl, you have to help out and do your housework. And, you know, what I mean, so yeah, I looked after my, my sisters and then my brother and sister came and, uh, yeah, we had a good, we had a good life. We have to give thanks.
0: Just like that. And even your parents, what were they into back then? Were they working? they were staying at home. What was their, their role at that time there?
1: Well, if you remember years ago, there was a song called rainfall sunshine. Mm-hmm. And this song was really about my parents. My father ended up working uh, in the, on the transport, the London Underground, um, and he moved up to uh, chief engineer. So he would be the person that if there was a fault on the train, they would come out and uh, fix the trains. I remember traveling with him. He would take me into the front carriage because he knew the drivers. And then he would show me things like on the train, you've got, Different. If you know where to look for them, you've got different things that would help the engineers. You've got like sand, you've got ladders, you've got different things. They're all, as you go along the carriage, you wouldn't know, but they know, mm-hmm. you know. So my father was um, chief engineer on the London Transport. Mm-hmm. And my mother uh, looked after children. Mm-hmm. So uh, she had many, many children. And at her, I mean, it was really emotional at her funeral, I mean, so many of them came up and really said, we have to give thanks to your mother because yeah, it, it's, it, you know, it's, it's an important job because it allowed parents to, to go out and, and be able to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it gave her the opportunity to be a stay at home mom with her children and still earn,
0: you know? So it was a win-win for all parties involved, uh, the, the extra children, you guys, everybody won.
1: Yeah, today it's like, it's still a big family. Lots of the the children that she looked after. I mean, lots of them. I know one is a, a radio DJ in the UK, Errol. So yeah, there's lots of, it's like a massive family, an extended family, as you said.
0: Good to go. So even you know, you have the influence of your brothers and sisters, your mom and everything. What do you think you were going to be growing up? What do you want to get into? Nurse, a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer on a train? What
1: do you think you were going to get into? You know, I think if I'm honest, I never really thought about it. I never really thought about it. Why I would say I never thought about it. um, I kind of stepped into it accidentally. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm talking about the entertainment business. Um, I went, I was out shopping with my mother and my younger sister, the one that follows me, Lorna, Mm -hmm. um, has loved dancing. She's still dancing to this very day. She just won some trophies for uh, ballroom dancing. Okay. And uh, we stopped outside of Beryl Hall in Wilsdon, where the classes were. And my mother asked me to uh, go and see if Lorna was finished so that she could come home with us instead of having to come back out to pick her up. Um, And I met Flavia Pickworth, who is the mother of one of the Springfields, Mike Hurst. Mm-hmm. She did a lot of work for cancer, and uh, she would do shows with the young children, and And uh, she wrote me in, literally, literally wrote me in. And so I would do, do some singing in her concerts and uh, the dancing. I kind of left it to the others, but, yeah, we did a bit. Mm-hmm. But um, so uh, I was about... 10 and a half going on to 11 mm-hmm. when she got me my first interview or first audition, I should say, not interview. Mm-hmm. So at, I was successful. And at the age of 11, I was working in, um, it was, uh, Boreham Wood studios. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, you know, it's not, I think, what, at, at, at 10, you're not thinking what you want to do. You know, 14, 15, you may start to have an idea. Mm-hmm. So I was loving working in the studios and, and, and it allowed me to be creative and, and, and do the things that I, I love to do. Um, so in total honesty, I never had something that I could say I've always wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, in hindsight, If I didn't do this, I think I would probably be a lawyer. Um, Not a lawyer, more of a, we call it barristers here. I Mm -hmm. I like the idea of going into court and relaying a story, which is the same thing I do on stage. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think that would have been what I would have probably aimed for.
0: got into a barrister, lawyer, or something like that. So even when it came to artistic, because I know you sing, you act, you do everything. What was the first thing you discovered about yourself artistically?
1: um that i was able to stand up in front of an audience Mm. and enjoy it um i think that for a lot of people you to stand in front of an audience it's like oh my (laughs) gosh what am i gonna do now what have i put myself into (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you know i I think every time i go on stage i have that same fear Mm -hmm. okay But uh, so far, normally I walk out on stage and then that stage belongs to me. So I um, but I can I can imagine that a lot of people could could be, you know, have the stage fright as you've moved on. So. um, And to be truthful, I don't think it's something that you really think of. Mm -hmm. It's that you found something that you enjoy doing Mm -hmm. and you keep on doing it and and hopefully, you know, progress.
0: From there. So even when you're, cause you, you got into acting and stuff. So how far into acting do you actually land a deal, land a gig, the double
1: on the double deckers? Well, if I can just say something, uh, just this, how things happen. Mm-hmm. I'm going back to my mother, where mm-hmm. we lived in, in Wilsdon. And one day, I was either outside or something and she was approached by someone with a camera and he said, oh, he's he's just got a great face. I want to take a picture of him. And so my mother kind of said, "Mm, "Okay, (laughs) you know what I mean? It was her son. So she did that. (laughs) So anyway, I think he he sat me on the window of the house and he took a few pictures. Then he went, oh, and he went off and came back with an ice cream. And obviously, he wanted to proceed to put this ice cream around my mouth. And my mother said, (laughs) not Move on quick. So she always used to say to me, you know what? I always wondered if I had lost an opportunity for you. Mm -hmm. But obviously, what is for you is for you. So, you know, Um, so going back to the question that you asked, um, I found myself, I did an audition in Cricklewood in the Samuelson, Samuelson's The Big Lighting Company. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was, oh, late 68 or 69, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, And I found myself, I had an audition, it was the biggest audition I'd ever seen. The first time I'd seen ever a colored TV. Although we had color TV from, oh, I think, early in the '60s, we had color TV, our family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe I should tell you what it was. You know the drink aid? Yes. Well, you know, they used to come with a yellow film. <laughs> <laughs> so we stick it over so We had color television <laughs> 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 yeah. So yeah. It, it, was, it was at this audition where I saw my first colored TV. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was Wimbledon. So this was the time of Wimbledon. Um, And there was just so many kids, so many kids. And it was the first time I kind of realized that there was acting schools and kids who would just do this for a living. Mm -hmm. Um, Fortunately enough, I got the part um, and found myself getting into studio and doing these crazy things. Um, one of the cast members, his family was uh, part of the Billy Smart Circus. Okay. At that time, the, the Billy Smart Circus was the circus where they used animals and the whole thing. And um, I just found myself in a different, a different world. Um, we were doing things that I should explain, because you did say double-deckers. This was for the Children's Film Foundation. It's the okay. CFF. Um, back in the day, there was no TV. We are going back. There's no TV. TV finished at, like, I don't know, 10.30, 11 o'clock. There's only really one station at this time. There's really BBC. Um, ITV may have just started. Um, so what the rub was on saturday mornings the local cinemas would open up for children mm-hmm. and they would show films made by the cff the children's film foundation starring children for children got you so i found myself part of this uh, saturday morning group but we were actually filming we were on a. we had our lot and we were doing things like making hovercrafts and, 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 and just crazy stunts that kids of, of, of 11 just thought was absolutely fantastic, you know, making go-cars and driving these go-cars. It was, it was, you know, kids in this day and age, I don't think it would be allowed because, uh, because everything is politically, cor- politically correct. Correct. But in those days, you had these six children well seven children who had their own den and they would do crazy things and it was called the magnificent six and a half this was actually the forerunner to the double deckers okay so there was something that led up to the here comes the ah yes 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 the double, we we did we did two we did two um how can i say um not episodes because it sounds like it's only one there was like two episodes of 13 series. Mm. Uh so we did we did quite a bit and and actually that's where I cut my teeth in the whole film industry because you know you're thrown in and and young actors they work hard we work hard. Because you guys are child star
0: you guys are child actors at this time here.
1: Yeah, we were child actors but you have to kind of look at it that these were the days when, for an actor or a musician, you were going to work. You were doing something that you loved to do. Celebrities didn't come until later on. So, you know, it's, it's, I was fortunate having so many brothers and sisters because it kept my feet firmly on the ground. It's like, who you think? Hey, just look up. <laughs> so, yeah, it kept me, kept it kept me firm. It kept me, um, Yeah. It was a job I was doing. Um, and, and that was it. So it, it, I found myself in a, in a, in this whole creative world, which I, I absolutely loved. And I just took it on and just ran with it. It like it found, it found you and you were
0: happy that it found you at such an early age at that time there also. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh. And once bitten, <laughs> mm-hmm. you couldn't get me out of it. <laughs> because your character was um, Spring. And I know a lot of people credit it as one of the first black faces that they seen on television at that time. Yeah,
1: but that is, that is, that we're now talking, that was released on TV around 1970s mm-hmm. when it first came on TV. But then you had the Six and a Half, you had the Topple show, you had Please, Sir, You had, um, no, I think, I think James Bond came after that, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there was just so many, there was lots of different things that, um, you know, to kind of, I think by the time we did the double-deckers, we were like seasoned actors
0: Mm. at that point there. So how was it actually going to school and being on TV at the same time? How did the kids treat you while you were in school?
1: Well, it. It was one of those things you have to kind of think of this as pre-celebrity days. Got you. Okay. So it was, where you been? Oh, I was working. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And that was it. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, my God, you were doing this. I think it wasn't till later on, um, time of the double-deckers, and by that time, my friends would have been – like 16 going into that age because mm-hmm. child actors are always younger than they, uh, than they look mm-hmm. or older than they look, I should say. Got you. So um, you would be like 15 playing like a 12 or 11 year old type of thing. Yeah. That's usually what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I was, you know, in school, um, I had nicknames in school and, you know, that would come in, they would chant out, and, you know, and that would be it. But, um, yeah, it wasn't. Um, yeah, I think pre-celebrity days, mm-hmm. pre-celebrity days. So, um, and I, I believe we're moving to double deckers now. Um, the ideas they had for the double deckers mm-hmm. probably was too early for the UK. Now, in 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 the states, uh, you had lunch boxes. You had we had the comic. Here um, And they had planned a lot of that um, celebrity thing. We did a few tours in the UK, but uh, I believe there was some financial situation. Mm-hmm. And, and I should say that it was a 20th Century Fox production. It was. The Double Deckers is a 20th 20, 20 Century Fox production. Yeah. So they had big ideas, but I think that, that something along the way didn't. I, I, I'm not 100% sure, so I, I prefer not to say. But um, yeah, the, the, the idea of the things that they had didn't continue. But I believe that they had the early ideas of the whole celebrity thing where we would tour and we would do whatever. But this is early 70s, so, you know. Wow, that's crazy! To know that this
0: was a, a Fox production, that's crazy to even look. This is where, from almost the beginning of your career, you're in with big companies from the jump.
1: Yeah, give thanks. I mean, also I did uh, a, a small cameo role in Diamonds Are Forever. So, one like yeah. I mean, I was fortunate enough that um on his celebration um the celebrated directed uh, John Borman mm-hmm. John Borman yeah he I was hoping to meet him at his celebration because I did a movie with him Leo the last uh, yeah, yeah Calvin Lockhart, uh, Marcelo Mastriani um, Glenda Foster Jones Billy Whitelaw so um yeah, yeah. I have to give thanks I, yeah. I've, I'm having a good run
0: definitely so then now you're you're doing acting and stuff so you're in between school and everything so once while you're still in school did you think you were going to continue acting or stay in entertainment or you were just going to school to finish up at that point there well by that
1: time I was I had kind of decided to leave school Mm -hmm. because um I'm now working and to be going into school and coming out and it, it was just a bit of a problem and at that time, I would go and, pl- well, not go and play. I had a period where I was working with um, an English reggae star called Junior English. Okay. So I, I cut a lot of my studio uh, years with Junior, and we, we would tour and, and sing and stuff. And um, so really school was really a thing of the past. Yeah. I, I had kind of left that behind and I was now working and uh it wasn't till later that I I got to that crossroad mm-hmm. when you've been a child actor or whatever, you come to a point where you you start looking at life and looking at yourself and who you are and what you're doing. And this is the time you're deciding which way to go on this crossroads. You know, Um, I was learning about Rastafari at this moment in time. Um, I, you know, I think, no, I, yeah, I think, yeah, I think I had a child on the way. Mm. Right. So it was like, I, I, you know, I can't really go out there and play um, a child actor all the time, but there were no parts in England for black actors. You know, you had the, 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 the parts that we all know the parts that were kind of available. There was no creative thought. Mm. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll, I'll write, but then if, if you write, you need someone to finance it mm. and that was like were well, we going to get this and my other love was music mm-hmm. and you know i've had some blessings in my life and i have to tell you the quick story for sure while not working right as an actor You hear actors say, well, you know, we're resting, but obviously they go out and find anything that they can do to, you know, pay some bills and stuff. So I worked for a while in a greengrocers in Neasden, right? Um, So these were the days in England, you know, you would have the smaller greengrocers who would decorate their outsides with like tissue paper and everything resting. So I was out there and, um, fixing up this arrangement and i turned to my right and it was like muscles it was like a mirage right <laughs> i'm in neesden right kneesden is like you ask most people in in in, in london where's neesden they go well it's somewhere there i you know because yeah. it's it's more anyway and mm-hmm. uh, these is is a little bit further out than you know, so you know, it's, it's a
0: bit more like a country. They're more considered country or really world. A country.
1: It's not really a country. It, it's mm. like, it's like leaving leaving Manhattan and going to Harlem. Do you know Got what you. I mean? It's Got that you. kind of it's that kind of way. Got you. Um, I'm still shocked to this day. Right? <laughs> I look and I see this tall man walking down. And he's got like a vest and he's got a black fist, wooden fist on his chest, right? And he's got a berry. And as he gets close to me, like if he didn't know, I say to him, you're Peter Tosh. And <laughs> he say, yes, sire. And he continues. And it's like we are talking about 73 72, 73 maybe now, right? And I go into the greengrocer's. I can't say I've just seen Peter Tosh because no one has a clue. You say reggae and nobody knows anything about it, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it was like, what? Peter Tosh? It needs that? So a little from that, a good friend of mine, which we don't, you know, he's passed on as well, Delroy Washington, I said, listen, I saw Peter Tosh. And he said, yes, I, they're they're living just around the the thing. I'm going to go over there later, right? So I went with Delroy that night. There was Bob. There was Bunny. There was Peter. There was Wire. There was Carly. There was Family Man. It was like, what are you... Because I remember, I had my little sound system and, Mm -hmm. you know, I I love my music. Um, So... I basically ended up living there because they they stayed in the circle. Mm -hmm. And um, they had come to support Johnny Nash, that time that was called King of Reggae. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bob had just got a deal with Jad to be a writer. Um, so they came over, the think they had problems with their work permits. So for a lot of the tour, they just had to sit that, sit out, sit it out. Um, so apart from a melodica that was at the house, I had my, uh, guitar and I think I took, uh, Paul's guitar and my Marshall amps. Mm-hmm. So I took it to the house and we would jam. We would jam, and as Bonnie said, how else would he learn his craft if it wasn't Monk Sui? So they always called Aswad the young whalers. That's crazy, just a fact. So you were into reggae music
0: and all this stuff because, as you said, nobody else would know what you're talking about well, if, when
1: you went into work. Remember in school, in school, mm-hmm. this is while we were at school, our music teacher, Jules Fordham, mm-hmm. would let us bring music on a, maybe the Friday where we had when we had music, so we used to think like Tony Scott. What am I to do now? Liquid Data, all those music. We used to carry them to school and play. Okay, Reggie, Reggie Fuller, his brother Prince, had a sound system. Mm-hmm. So I used to dress up and go to the sound system, and yeah, no, this is why I was into the music. Mm-hmm. I was into the music, and after meeting the Whalers. Right? Um, For me, we go back to the time when I said I was at the crossroads. Mm -hmm. And it was, okay, for films, I'd have to write. I'd have to find someone to finance it. And that's kind of difficult. My other love is music. And I can go to the studios. I can book Berry Street Studio. I can book this studio. And I can get to the entirety. And then I can press music if I wanted to. Um, so that was my view that yeah, maybe it's going to go the way of music. Mm -hmm. And a good friend of mine, and where my girlfriend at the time lived, because the house had different flats in it, Mm -hmm. um, he had just bought a new pioneer system. It was the most wicked system I have I've I've ever heard, muscles. Mm -hmm. Two 15-inch pioneer speakers. Mm Ah, wow, wow! (laughs) And I remember one night I put on the headphones and I listened to an album. It was actually Marvin Gaye, "What's Going On," and I just said, "Wow!" I came out of the things and I said, "I'm going to start a band. I'm going to start a band." Just like Um, that. Sorry. Just like that. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was I just knew the direction that I was meant to go at that point. Mm-hmm. Um nevertheless, Marcia, Trenda, and Chester all laughed and they laughed. But you know, luckily I had the last word. Mm-hmm. So that was that was when I thought, yeah, okay, I'm gonna go into music because you know I, I didn't see the future in, 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 in acting. Mm-hmm. It was a very different situation to what it is now um so i met desi and barry who had just turned a travel agent into a record shop okay. and so out of the record shop was where i did my initial thing starting to learn the business started started to join prs for the publishing and i made these adverts that said, you know, the first name of the band was being the rebel roadblock. And then it, I found azwad in, um, in a book of African names. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to have something that people could say without even thinking about it. And then one day they would go, well, what does it mean? And it happens all the time. People just go, oh my, or they come and say, oh my gosh, I just learned Aswad means black. Did you know that? I said, all right. <laughs> it's a little bit <laughs> like the second album, second mm-hmm. Aswad album, album. It's called Houlette, mm-hmm. right? And for those who know, in a Hammerick, is two. Mm, so it all makes sense. If you look at Houlette, you see Houlette, and then you see the shape of the two, which mm-hmm. is the second album. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's how I like to see things. I kind of see things and even songs, I see them visually. Yeah. So when did you start to
0: meet the um, other band members as Aswad? Because when you came up with the name, were there other band members already or you just had the name and you were just going to put the group no,
1: together? No, I, I, as I said, I had posters reaching out for musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a few musicians that I played with, and I, I tried out so many people. I tried out so many people. Uh, one good friend, George, who had left and gone to Jamaica very early, but when he left, he was talking about keyboards, mm-hmm. so I'd always thought, oh, if George was here, he could play keyboard, and one day I was out, I think I had a, a, a little old van, and uh, do you remember the the tape uh, things with those big, the big tape A-Track. A-Track, that's what it was called, A-Track. <laughs> So I took my Marshall 4B12 speaker box, put it in the back of the van mm-hmm. and connected the music to it. Right. And George came and George said, yeah, I just come from Jamaica. And we started talking. I said, well, I'm, I'm st- starting a band so you can play keyboards. And he said, no, man, I'm playing bass now. Mm-hmm. And George would come with me and we would, we would, work on the songs that I'd been writing. Mm -hmm. So that kicked off. We had uh, bass and we had um, a singer and guitarist. Um, Donald lived around the corner. And so Donald came in. He was lead guitarist. We tried out many, many drummers, many Mm -hmm. different drummers. Charlie, so many different drummers. Barry. And um, I didn't know it at the time but drummy had come in early and um answered the you know the advert mm-hmm. and i spoke with him and he said he was playing with delroy he was playing with the steel band and i said look this band is a, is is different most mm-hmm. bands in england at that time came together to back artists that had come from jamaica or wherever Got you. And I said, no, this band, we're not a backing band. The idea of this band is we're going to be a band. We're writing our own music. We're going to, you know, we're... Uh, and this, I suppose, comes from being in the business, mm-hmm. you know, and understanding the business a little bit more and and what it meant. Um, and so I just said, look, you know, you're, you're doing all these things. It's great. But no, I want somebody who's going to be, you know put their focus into this band.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I don't know how long it, it was, but then a friend, Ruzi, came in and Ruzi said, hey, my, my cousin's a drummer. He's a wicked drummer. So we said, yeah, let's check him out. Mm-hmm. And we found ourselves in Labyrinth Grove um, at the Carnival office. And they were showing a video of the Carnival and they were, they were playing live and that's where we met up with Drummy again. This was George and I. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, he came and auditioned, and we never looked back, mm-hmm. you know. It was lots of different people. Tony Tony was a, a, someone I knew from school. Mm-hmm. So we had Tony. We had Ka- Bunny and Candy McKenzie. Um, lots, of, lots of different musicians and stuff that we tried out, and, you know, finally worked it down to Donald Griffiths, Courtney Hemmings, George Oban and Brinsley Ford. I've missed someone out. Donald Griffiths. I said Donald, you Courtney, Ang- oh, Angus, of course. I was working it on saying that's not five. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let's, yeah, let's do that to clear that up. Okay, so the band ended up with Drummy Zeb or Angus Gay, Drummy Zeb on drums, uh, Donald Griffiths, lead guitar, Courtney Hemmings keyboards, George Oban bass, and Brinsley Ford on lead vocal and rhythm guitar. And that
0: right there solidified the first version of Aswad, the original founding members right there. That was, that was what happened. Yeah. So when you put the group together, you guys are ready to go. Was, um, the Willers still in the country at that time there, or they had left already?
1: No, the remember this is at this point, the whalers, and now we're going back to I'm saying when I practically lived with them, okay? The whalers had decided maybe that enough is enough. Let's go and speak to Chris Blackwell. Mm-hmm. So it was from this house in Circle Nesden that they went to speak to Chris Blackwell, and Chris Blackwell then gave them some money and said, all right, go and make the album mm-hmm. or, you know, go and record some music. But everyone said he was mad. He was stupid. How could he give these, you know, and I got to go back at this time. Bob wasn't dread. At when you first met him, he didn't have his locks yet. No, Bob was here in plats, right? This is early days. We're talking about, right? <sighs> Because if you remember on the on the, on Catch a Fire cover, mm-hmm. okay. So the story goes that Chris had an experience where he was in a boat and the boat ran out of petrol, and they had to walk. He had to walk to find help, and he came up upon a Rasta community where they helped him and they fed him and they and so. In Bob's, in in Chris's case, the fact that he had that experience when these Rastas kind of came because they they say Rastas now because obviously history, but at that time it was just a, a three guys from Jamaica that he knew because everybody knew the Whalers who knew the music, you know. We everybody knew the Whalers, so I was a big fan of the Whalers. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is you know um the whalers had already left by that time yeah. they left um to go to go and record right? so they had gone to record um in later years they would they would come and we we you know we would go and see them at the hotels or whatever um and they were big fans of the band right they kind of called the band they saw the band as the young whalers mm-hmm. right and if you um, – I, I never had a photo with Bob. I mean, this is not the time – You remember, this is not the time of um, phone cameras, True. right? So I've stayed in 56 Hope Road. We've done this. We've done everything, right? But one thing that is very special, right? If you look for a video called "Asward Rear" mm-hmm. on YouTube, you will see Bob dancing in the audience to "Natural Progression." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that to me is you know there's yeah yeah that that that's a moment that's a moment for me. But um, yeah, we, we we Bob was more like a big brother though. Mm-hmm. You know when you have an elder brother and you know you hold them in that kind of reverence where it's like yeah you know your voice get learned. but yeah it's yeah many things we played table football together and yeah me and him lost to George and Drummond, but never mind so yeah give thanks man give thanks It's was there any of the whalers that you connected closer with out of the out of the three of them I would have to say the, the member of the whalers that we really connected and this is the time now because family family and I Became really close. Mm-hmm. And family told me about, yeah, we have a youth going to play keyboards. And that was Tyrone Downey. Rest in peace, we lost Tyrone. And then he, family, always wanted me to play bass. All mm-hmm. right. He always wanted me. He said, I love how you play bass. You should be a bass player. But I said, because uh, obviously I wanted to play guitar and sing. And, um, and he said, yeah, man, I have a youth in Jamaica. Him soon come. It's due to going to be wicked. And it turned out to be Robbie Shakespeare. It turned out to be Robbie Shakespeare. And the first track he played on that I think he played on was um, Concrete Jungle. And Concrete Jungle, you know, Concrete Jungle is about Chalk Hill, a place in England. Oh, that's really what it's based on. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a place. they it, it, all these white flats and stuff in England. And, uh, the truth is I didn't hear that from Bob, but my understanding is that what it's, that's where the song was, mm-hmm. you know, what the song was about.
0: That's so wild there. So, okay. So then now you guys have the, the band form, you're ready to go. What were some of your early moves now with the band? Did you guys try to get a recording deal Were you guys performing? What was some
1: of the early? Well, moves? what, what happened? As I said, George and I, remember, I have a son now, mm-hmm. okay? I have a son um, who's become a massive music producer himself and Jermaine or Jazz son. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Jermaine did the first track for Capleton when they started calling him. I mean, it, it, it's, it, he's an old song. You've got You've got another person you're going to have to interview. Okay, anyway. so
0: okay, before we even remember this thought, let me tell you this earlier on in this conversation. It was Jermaine that reached out to me. And this is why we're even having this conversation
1: right now. So you see how it's full circle? Yeah, yeah, full circle. Full circle, man. I, I didn't even realize at the time, but yes, of course you know Jermaine. <laughs> of course you know Jermaine. Mm-hmm. So, okay, um, so George and I are sitting there one day. We we in the back and we used to just jam with the music or try and work out songs. And we said, look, we're gonna have to do something. Let's see if we can find a job within the music Mm -hmm. because that's what we wanna do. So we don't wanna go and do something that's not within music. Saga Records who had just bought Trojan was a walking distance from where we were sitting. Mm -hmm. So we walked down, it was like a 10, 15 minute walk. We went over the bridge, like if you're going into Labyrinth Grove, and um, we went. They said no, nothing. They didn't have anything because they uh, believed they had a pressing plant there and stuff, so mm-hmm. we thought we would get something. So on the way back, we're walking. I know it's. I can just visualize the spot. As we went to go over the brow of the bridge, I said, listen, if we're going to do this, let's just do it. Mm-hmm. Right, George, what do you mean? Let's just call up call up Island Records and tell them. And that's exactly what we did. We walked on the way back to Gangsterville is the place where we, the record uh, shop. Mm-hmm. There was a laundrette. And at that time, apart from the telephone boxes on the street, that would be where you would go and make calls. There was a call box in there. Mm -hmm. um we had a system that you could phone up and get the um the any numbers like a directory inquiries okay so i phoned up directory inquiries can i can i have the number of island records and i phoned up and spoke to penny right penny was the assistant to richard williams who was the anr at that point in time um so we had an interview yeah come in this speak to us we had a track that we'd recorded it had no vocals on yet but it had mouth organ so it's this really kind of roots track with a rebel mouth organ on it um played by bunny mckenzie actually um and we played him the tracks he just kind of just thought okay let's see and Richard actually is the only man who, uh, he's told me this, has got a picture of Bob Marley (laughs) signing for Island Records in Jamaica, right? (laughs) And so he kind of looked at it and said, okay, go into the studio, make some demos. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So we got uh, time in um, St. Peter's Square. That was Island's uh, place in Chiswick. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And we went in and recorded four tracks and two of them ended up on the album. If we knew then what we know now, we would have made them again, but we didn't. But anyway, um, so that's what happened. And they said, okay, we're going to give you the same deal as what Bob had. So you can have X amount of money to make the album and uh, go ahead. Let's see what happened. They put us together with Tony Platt and um that was the beginning of it we did the album aswad and we did the album and our trevor bauer friend from the area said oh we were rehearsing in 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 road it's a big uh, it became a big club afterwards but it was like a community space and i think what was the first difference about as mm-hmm. we i had to drive to kent to get this we got a pa mm-hmm. right, an actual little pa at that time bands were playing but with the four column speakers right and i think at that time there was more places for bands to play in areas that were clubs so right. you would have the sound system playing And then they would say, and now we have a band tonight and the band comes on. And what would happen normally is that they'd come on. You'd just been listening to the sound system. It'd be heavy. And then the poor band would come on and there's no weight. there's nothing there. There's only, you know, whatever the, the, the bass player can generate and the vocals, but we came with a PA. Mm. So on one or two occasions. You know, the sound system them kind of get all right enough now enough now and what they would do to other musicians they would just turn up on them so the musicians would have to give up but mm. suddenly you we are working with some when we got you know some big speaker boxes so when they turn up we turned up <laughs> so people said well all right this sound man said all right don't <laughs> compete with them you there and one of the other things i bought an echoplex okay um and this was the time remedy dub music was just mm-hmm. a to give you that the echo that speaks so the, the echo plex was the first time we would do like natural progression natural progression boom 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 do, we, boom, bee, boom 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 be, beep boom 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 then the guitar will go boom boom chang 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 and that was the first time people was hearing dub on stage because mm-hmm. they heard dub on record, but they weren't hearing it because I wasn't using it in just my hand. I was using it with the Echoplex, and the Echoplex was a small box. Mm-hmm. So when you lick that and you press the, you... so, yeah, people started to, to wake up and, and look at the band differently. And I remember one time in in Wilsdon, it was an Odeon cinema in Wilsdon, right? It was an th- old theatre cinema that they had abandoned using, but they were still using for different things. Mm-hmm. And we had left Ireland, gone to CBS, mm-hmm. okay? Dave Bretch was leaving Ireland, and he took us to CBS, okay? Um, we then... Left CBS. Mm-hmm. We left CBS because, yeah, it just wasn't working out with CBS. And I think Reggae Regulars had just signed with CBS. Got you. So there was the Gladiators, Reggae Regulars, and Aswad on the same bill. Mm-hmm. And we ended up playing first. Okay. So midway in the show I just had this idea and I went to Donald the lead guitarist and I said listen can you play this phrase and I said ba 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 and he said sing it again for me ba 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 and this is all while the show's going on you know what I mean and he went yeah okay all right so a little bit later I went to the audience I said sing this ba 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 and they repeated, I said, Come on, sing again. Bam, bam, bam. they'll sing again. Bam, bam, bam. And then Donald. And Donald flew off with a lead guitar that was just absolutely crazy. And even at the end of the show, people were still saying Aswad. Because I think that was the moment that we moved into stage performance. So we were now performing. Um, we weren't just musicians anymore. We were, we were performing. And I think that comes from the lessons i had learned working at the studios.
0: Mm-hmm. From there, um, because I know there was around, this was around a little bit after your first album came out. I think you guys backed Burning
1: Spear for his 1977 live album. Yes. 1977, early 1977. Mm-hmm. Now that made a liar out of me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> What do you mean? Well, I had stated we're not a backing band. We will not be a backing band. We're never going to be a backing band. But then we had we had a request. Listen, Burning Spear doesn't have a band, right? I mean, you don't say no to Burning Spear. No, no. You know, and remember and remember, we are big reggae fans, Carl. We blues dance the whole lot. We're there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Trozen, and Cox and the, the, the whole lot, the, cool the, the whole lot. So playing with Bernard Spear, yeah, man, and and Tommy um, Tommy Ellis came over, right, and he kind of schooled us and said, "All right, yeah, da 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 da, drop this." Yeah, well, no, you know you're good. It's that's the trumpet player, right? Um, and we they recorded. The first show in London, and I tell you, Muscles, if they had recorded the last shows by the time we reached Manchester and Birmingham, oh, my God, oh, my God, wicked. Um, And I think this was one of the things that people started to look because at that time people didn't see the music out of England as authentic. Got you. And reason being is because the musicians we were listening to. I remember the Scatterlights and all of these people. They're trained jazz musicians out of Alpha and places like that. Okay, right? Because they were they had been schooled, right? Because um, all the all the youths that went to Alpha, remember, they had been trained. Okay, but now in England, now you just like a song, so you just. Okay, it's a it's a this and it's a this and it's a this. So you play it back. You're not you're not going into the rudiments of the music or what is really in the music. The, the seven, technical uh, aspects seven, and seven, all
0: yeah. of that stuff. Okay. There.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know the theory. Okay, we're just we're just playing. Um, and so I think that's why a lot of the music wasn't seen as authentic, and we nobody was making their own music. There was a few people. You had Simrods, You had Matumbi. You know, Um, so that was the difference. And people were saying they thought it was a band from Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And then when people said, no, it's it's an English band. They said, no, man, it can't be an English band playing music like, no. Mm -hmm. And as we just said, 77, and remember 77 was a crucial time Mm -hmm. because, Culture just two sevens clash when the two sevens clash, and we all waited for Mm -hmm. whatever was gonna happen was gonna happen in the year of 77. But the year of 77, um, I think it was Denise came to us and said, Listen, why don't you guys go to Jamaica to record? Right? So Mm -hmm. we had time booked in Harry J, and I remember arriving in Harry J's studio and the first just walking into Harry J's studio. Right? And somebody was there behind there singing, and it's it has to be, it has to be. And then suddenly the door opened and now comes Jacob Miller. And he said, Well, I'm the man them Come from England. So I'm when the show's there, man. Not for yeah, 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 yeah. So it was Jacob. Jacob was the first man I heard voicing a tune in Jamaica. So um yeah, we 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 had an episode there mm-hmm. because we ended up moving out of Kingston up to Content Gap. Mm-hmm. Now, Content Gap is above Papine, right? Okay. And I remember when we were heading to Jamaica, Drummy was taking a, a crumbie, a light brown crumbie. Mm-hmm. And I remember we laugh and we laugh and we laugh. And we said, what are you taking that to Jamaica for? Anyway. He had the laugh on us. Content Gap, when you're standing up there in Content Gap, was an artist who had a little place there. Then he went away for seclusion and whatever. We stood with our the clothes around our feet. Wow. And when we looked down, we looked down upon Jankro. a fly around. We were so high, right? We had to go to the pipe and get water. And the only way you have, a, a you know, the bread, the cheese, mm-hmm. and, and you fill that water. And we had a joke because everyone would have a time to, kind. George kind of knew, right, how to carry the water. But when you don't know, you go down there and you, 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 you water, by the time you reach to where we live in, you have to go back for water again. <laughs> oh, man. I And the other thing that we had, when we arrived in Jamaica at that time, this was the time of near the end of Starsky and Hutch. Mm-hmm right, as people who don't know, they were two bad youth, you know, mm-hmm. um, and real famous at that time. Starsky. We coming from England, to get clerks is no problem. Clarks is like shoes you wear to go to school. Clerks and the Bucca hats. We got, we, so when we're walking around Jamaica like that, people are looking at us and saying, what's going on? Think These youth are some gunman, mm-hmm. right? I remember we met... Well, we had met Third World. I think we had met Third World from England because, remember, island records, so mm-hmm. we kind of knew them. When we got out there now, Ibu lent, uh, lent us his car. He had an escort, a white escort. Mm-hmm. So this is what we used to drive up and down in. Um, and one day Kat said to us, yeah, come and check me, man. Come and check me. So, if you imagine these five dread on East King's house Road, No, first of all we go and that time his father was the financial minister I think at that time okay right? Man. so we go we we don't know, but we go to the go to the gear time yeah mama come for secure <laughs> what your boys doing here come move move, move vanlam <laughs> So we leave now go sit down, we sit down on in um East King's house road and that has a lot of the parliamentary things on it. So next thing we know, we see a black and white drive up and just stop. And it's like them. It's it, it, they're surprised because I mean, like what? Four or five now? What's yeah. going on? So next thing we know, we're sitting there, we're talking, we're saying, I remember, had a camera, little camera, and I just pull up the camera in my hand and... <laughs> Um, next thing we know, we see a, a shotgun lean up against the window. Anyway, mm-hmm. they come out now and they'll come out with guns. And then One man behind with a the shotgun. Then was the time we're talking now, 77, you know, with the political mm-hmm. thing I gone. So we, um, you know, they, they stopped us, they talked to us, and uh, they said, okay, well, you guys take it easy. And I, I, I mean, it was, I remember... The night before we left, Tommy Cowan came for Drummy and I to go and do a session. And before we went to the session, we went into a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the Badman police. I can't remember his name right now. It wasn't, it wasn't Ford. Mm-hmm. It was oh. Anyway, one of the Badman police then. Mm-hmm. And him come in. And he must see Tommy Cohen because we're waiting to go studio now. So him come in, him go to our next table, him pull him gun apart and slam it on the table. <laughs> and because he's thinking, yeah, if them, them newties are so bad that they're going to come and stand up. Tommy had to go across and speak to him and tell him, he no, some da 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 And him kind of second down and him come and say, all right, you them <laughs> So now, just some of our ex- exploits in in
0: Jamaica. Yeah. because you guys are these kids coming from UK. so you're not expecting this type of stuff to be happening while you're in Jamaica. You think everything's cool at this point here.
1: Do you know what? We're not even thinking about that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we're, we're I mean, we're coming off of the healing content get one one day, right? And blam, roadblock, police right? Police all over. Mm-hmm. One police come in the, in the car and say, Rasta them come after you, man, smell the ganja yes, son of man. <laughs> and that's on one of the, one of the music on, 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 on Urban Jungle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. That story. And there's a, there's a well-known, well-known musician who was part of that. And we talked about it the other day, but, um, yeah, they, they searched, they didn't find anything, and they let us go. They say, why, they must to smoke up the ganja. And I'm not going to tell you where the ganja was. But... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, just finishing so, off this story before we go, because it started off with Burning Spear. Mm-hmm. So while we were there now, the Compton brothers, I think they, they're tennis players from Jamaica, said, well, you guys are here, you have to, you have to do a show. So they organized a show at Caesar's Palace. And we did a show in Jamaica, and it was going down really well. Everything was going well. People was like, "Wow!" And all of a sudden, said, "Listen, we want to bring out a guest." Mm-hmm. And in '77, no one had seen Burning Spear. They'd heard the records, but they'd never see. And we called Burning Spear out. i Burning Spear. Clap to tune. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah, that was that was great. And yeah. big, big
0: memories. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Amazing memory. So you guys did the album with Burning Spear. You guys have your own album now. But I know after the first album, that's when Courtney left and Tony Robbins, He that's when he came
1: in. How did that situation start there? Well, it was the situation that Courtney was a family man. Mm-hmm. He lived at his parents' house. Um, and that thing of going up to Content Gap, it was just like, you know, when your dream is like shattered, it's like, you know, okay, we're going to be big musicians and then we've got nowhere to stay. Then we go up to the hills. And, and Courtney just one night just said, no, nah, I, I can't do this. You know, mm-hmm. I, I need to go and find some work and look after my family. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Courtney left in Jamaica when we were in Jamaica. Courtney decided to leave. Or oh, at that point there. Yeah, that was the point that Courtney left. Mm -hmm. Um, Tony was someone who I knew from before. Mm -hmm. Um, But Tony was at that time playing with Brimstone and King Sounds. Mm -hmm. So he was a working musician, but obviously he came in at first as like doing sessions or, you know, when 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 we could get him to play. Um, But then later on, he came in as the keyboard player. And then I had written a track. That time we were all living in like a squat in in Labrock Grove, right? In Powis Square. And each of us had our rooms and I remember having this idea for this song and what happened the night, it was Tony and George came in and I was just jamming this tune that I was thinking of. And at some other point, Tony played the bass, and I really like how Tony played the bass. George was moving towards his jazz period, mm-hmm. really. Um, and, you know, George's stuff with motion and, and stuff that he did. Um, and that was the point I had to say to George, George, listen, man, you, you know, the bass lines are not really roots anymore. You, you are going in a jazz direction. And our album with um, CBS kind of moved in that jazz kind of kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was Tony started to play bass because he loved how he was playing bass. And then after George left, the decision was that we had a unit of d- drum and bass. We had a rhythm section, drum and bass, guitar. Vocals and we did the harmonies, so it would be better to find a keyboard player. Because when we created, we that you know that was locked. That was us, and so um, that was when Clifton Morrison and Tata came in, um, and for years they that was the 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 band, but they were not really members. They were kind of session, but yeah, they were as were still,
0: yeah definitely so then no because you guys at this time here now you guys still didn't get your huge break at this time or you guys are still on the come up still trying to figure it out
1: well they, I let's have a look we it's to tell you the exact years but we could if we knew the release dates mm-hmm. uh, I remember that we had all of all of most music when I say all of mm-hmm. music was, was promoted on children's programs in okay. the UK. This is where you got most of the music kind of happening. You had top of the pops, which was the, the, the main kind of music thing. Um, there had been other shows, but top of the pops was like the the longest running. That was the pop show. Mm-hmm. And for new music, it would be it would be relayed on the kids programs now there was a show called 73 uh which was a children's program and they what happened at that time you know it was said that how could how could young children relate to three dreads yeah all right This is, Mm. it doesn't really, they can't see how it's going to work. Now we're talking about the music industry, Mm. right? Because this is where you promoted new music. They're trying to get us away, but, you know, it's like, can you really, you know, what they didn't realize, we're our fathers now, right? And as remember what we said back in the day, if you're from a black family, you have to do, you have to change nappy, you have to do everything. You have to look after your brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. so when we come to like do these children's programs now they see us laughing and and the kids are having a great time with us right so after we did this show and it was it was good the makers of the show said to me look could you do a can you do a track for us you know maybe we'll use it as the theme track of the show Mm -hmm. so i went away and and came up with this idea we had this song um when we presented it to them it wasn't what they quite what they wanted Mm -hmm. so i remember we had this great track we knew it was a great track and one day we were sitting in the studio and it was like yeah we have to do something for this track and i just went all right let me go in studio i have an idea and i went in studio and we set up and everything and i went I'm on feel like bubbling, won't you come and bubble with me? And blam, we did that track. We must have gone to, I don't know, for about six months, that was number one on the reggae charts. That was number one on the, they couldn't shift it off the reggae charts. So we had toured and played like every university from Oxford and Cambridge I remember playing in, in, in Oxford University and thinking, oh, my gosh, because it was one of their balls, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, these people ain't going to know it. And I remember there was one song, I, I couldn't remember the line, and I see somebody down there singing. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so we we had toured from one end of England to the other. We had toured through Europe. We, we were touring for years. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally, when we did have the hits, right? In the public domain, we had the hits in the reggae mm-hmm. institution. We People knew us there. Um, and then we had things like Rock Against Racism, which was, it started through um, Eric Clapton, what Eric Clapton had said, and Red Saunders and the others came up with this idea. And, and this was something that opened up um, England. England, sorry, mm-hmm. you suddenly had out of a place where you had the rock people played here, the punks played here, the reggae was played here, but suddenly there was a stage where everyone could voice it, mm-hmm. and people who had never heard reggae before were there to, ho- to hear someone else, and suddenly they went, wow, this music, is! I like it, mm-hmm. right? So we had that underground kind of following, but of course, when "Don't Turn Around" hit, right? You had in just for instance a company, you had the young uh, office secretaries or whatever coming out and saying, "Oh my God, this is great new band!" And then their managers would go, "Oh yeah, I know that band. Yeah, great. I saw them at university. I saw," and so we had crossed, uh, you know we were selling more music then than um oh bros i think was number one at that time um uh, madonna had a big hit, but we were out selling them we were out selling them yeah yeah
0: that's wild right there so okay before we even go to don't go wrong i want to know if this came first or don't go around came first the movie that you started called Classic, Babylon, did that come first or Don't Turn Around came first?
1: No, no, no. Babylon came first. Babylon was in 80... We must have re- started filming that in 81. 80... Okay, so this is years before that. Yeah, yeah this is this is way before. I mean, obviously, um, Franco Rosso, Gavrik Lossi, and Martin, um, Martin Stellman, sorry... Mm-hmm. Uh, they had this screenplay and because of my history, Mm -hmm. they called me in to do an audition for the part. Um, And then obviously I I got the part. Um, I remember at, at, at times when we were, you know, we'd all sit around the table, we're talking about the movie and the characters and creating your character. Um, and Carl found it very difficult that things like what the movie depicted, like police coming in with dogs. He was like going, "No, that can't never happen. Mm-hmm. And um, at that time, there was some music that was supposed to be this dub music that, you know. And because of the having the part that I had, you know, it was like, no, Dennis bubbles is my friend. Yeah, but listen, you can't we can't have this movie and not have, you know. So they said, All right, well, listen, you do the dub. Mm. You do the dub, and Dennis is gonna do the soundtrack for the movie. And I mean, that soundtrack is absolutely amazing. Dennis Dennis is wow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Um, so that yeah, Babylon came Babylon came first. Babylon came first. You started as blue in that movie there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that was, I guess it was depicting a lot of what was actually happening
1: in the UK at that time there. Yeah, because a couple of years ago, about three years now, three years ago, Mm -hmm. it was released in the States for the first time Mm -hmm. after 40 years because they, even the, to get the certificate in the UK, they said the only way we could give you a certificate that it could be a family viewing is if he's seen in prison at the end of it, and which that's why it kind of ended the way it did. They changed the, the ending, mm-hmm. but um, they had to temper down Blue's character mm-hmm. to make it kind of work. I mean, I would love if there was a, a director's cut now and you see the, the you know, bad boy, Blue. <laughs> yeah, they had, because um, Blue, after he's in the police station, the father is beating up the mother and he beat up the father. And that's why he left the house, Got right? That's why he had to leave the house. Mm-hmm. And there's like other scenes where it shows that him and Ellie had been partners from school and he was just now becoming dread and she was thinking "Nah, man I want to go off and do this I want to wear my makeup and I want to so it was after that argument that he was on the street that's why he was on the street that night normally he would stay at his girl's house Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's um, because of the times there's little aspects of the film that changed that now if they were in I think you think about them but it's, if you see them, you kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Okay, yeah. Oh, I'm nasty. I tell, you know what I mean? It's it's suggested, but it would have been nice to see those scenes. Um, we're in a
0: different space now, so we'll see it from a different lens, yeah, as you said, 40 years later, so we'll understand
1: it differently yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go, we'll go, we're go nearly 50 years now on that that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: What is there any scene in particular, or even the character, Blue, that you could really relate to?
1: Um. Yeah, there's this there's, there's little bits of it, but you have to remember that you're not yourself. You're you're <laughs> trying to play a character. But I always got stayed like there's one part where um Cosmo comes in the high school and green. And I said, Look at that high school, we must have high school and green and it's like I'm kind of thinking, Okay, no, don't don't be disrespectful now. So <laughs> you know I'm keeping it. I'm trying to keep it down but it's a character blue isn't supposed to be me mm-hmm. but obviously you know you, you you get bits where you know it, it crosses the line and with that movie because I know it was rated X in the UK when
0: it first came out
1: yeah, yeah yeah this was this was why they they weren't happy that he wasn't seen in a prison cell serving his time. Um, so yeah, they took it away. They took away the fight. Basically they dampened down Blue's character, Mm -hmm. not to make it too aggressive because at that time it was just seen as full on aggression, you know? And they didn't like that at the
0: time. So then now, did that raise a profile of the band that time there, or were you guys just continued on your trajectory at that time there?
1: I, I think that the band's success. Came from the band. It was just different to see the band, the performance in, the performance of the band. Um, great musicians in the band. The fact, I mean, they used to say that Bob Marley took the studio on stage, but Aswad took the dub on stage. Um, and I, I, I think, yes, it helped because people said, "Oh, double deckers." To this day, they say it right. Mm-hmm. But I think it it was the band that created the band. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, okay, we know you, we've seen you. Yeah, you're the first person we've seen on TV. Um, but, wow, music. The music is unlike anything else. It speaks for itself. Yeah, I think I, think I have to give the, the credit to, you know, the band. Definitely,
0: because I know you guys are around now. When did you guys notice another band like Steel Pulse around? Were they around before they came after or around the same time?
1: Steel Pulse, lots of people think that we have, you know, (laughs) this big thing against Steel Pulse, and Steel Pulse have this big thing against us. Mm -hmm. But I remember we went, I can't tell you the the year, Mm -hmm. but we went to Birmingham to do a show, and the bass cabinet stopped working. And David reached out to me, and I went to their rehearsal room, brought back the cab, and we used their cab. So that was, that was our first situation. I mean, they were in London, we, we, we were in London, they were in Birmingham. So it was like, yeah, wow, this guy's cool. Didn't really know too much about the, the band or anything at that time. Mm-hmm. And then one day I was in Island Records and I saw David and I think it was Funz, right? They came walking around and they were saying, oh man, we're looking, we're you know, gonna see if we can get signed or whatever. And I called Leslie, Leslie Palmer and Denise and introduced them to Denise and Leslie Palmer. So when people kind of say all of this, we say, look, you know, from from time, we've just been there for each other. Mm-hmm. And you know that we, we're in a band now together. Yep. All a, right? super,
0: a super group that you guys, and
1: you guys formed. And Dennis was the judge for the competition that... Steel Pulse 1, to do a track with Dennis. And Dennis did um, Handsworth Revolution. So we've gone full circle. And another little thing, if I, can, if I can just add this. For sure. Let's go back to the time of Bob Marley staying in Neasden. All right? Mm-hmm. We used to go to a club, all right, that was in this very same hall, that I told you I went for my sister. Mm. They were going to do a show. So everybody heard that, yeah. Steel, um, Cimarrons used to play there. Um, watch out for them. They're coming back. It's someone you have to interview as well. For sure. Uh, so they, um, that night, they didn't turn up. And Simron's had all their stuff out there already. And I just said, okay. Let's play. And myself, Val, and someone else um, just grabbed some instruments and started to play. And that was one of the first places I really played roots music. Do you know what I mean? In the same hall that I went to pick up my sister. That's our whole circle. Yeah, full yep, circle, so and it true. seemed like everything we're speaking
0: about—that's just how your life just happens to work. You just happen to be somewhere. You just happen to make a phone call. You just happen to go. All these things you just happen without real.
1: I, do you know what? Isn't a real intent. Uh, no, I believe that there are, you know, we have paths that are mapped out, mm-hmm. but it all depends on who and what you want in your life. Right. Because all these things wouldn't be coincidences if you didn't work on it. True. You know, so I, I believe we have paths set out. And if we really want it, as Jimmy said, you can get it if you really want it, you know, but you must try, try and try. And that, that's what that's the name of it. Yeah. Just gone out there and tried and, and believed. I mean, I say to my children you know, when they get to the age and they're looking for what they want to do. I so said, just whatever you, you find, mm-hmm. that every morning you wake up, you are happy to go and do it. That's the career to follow, mm-hmm. you know? Makes total sense. So even though you guys are
0: still here. You guys are the premier English reggae band right now doing yourself. How did a lot of the reggae acts treat you guys now when they came to the UK? Cause some of them might not have even heard of you guys before and stuff. How was the treatment that they treated you guys there?
1: I think that a lot of the musicians kind of were aware. Mm. They were aware. By the time we started playing, I remember, I remember we went to Kentish town to record with Sly and Robbie. Um, Anika Komoza, Dennis Brown, David Hines, and us. If you look, you can find it. We're doing, I, I think it's Get Up Stand Up. It's okay. on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were, cause it's a rehearsal rooms there. And I remember we were sitting in the car with Dennis and Gregory come on, Gregory look. And Gregory kind of call out Dennis and Gregory say, I mean, this is what I'm... But he says, like, oh, no, Monday. and Dennis must have said, no, 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 Monday, cool. mm-hmm. and Gregory, for a long while, didn't really talk to us. And the first time that Gregory spoke to me, we were doing sun splash, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Because we did many of the sun splashes. I remember mm-hmm. the first sun splash we did, we were ready to play, and we didn't play till about three o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. right? So people kind of, kind of, I think... You know, they kind of heard us. They kind of heard something and said, why they mute? you? They're gone. But these were more the musicians, right? Yeah. This is more the musicians than the actual people. Um, and when Irie FM started in Jamaica, they, I think they used to use it. This is live and direct. But they, a lot of people thought it was Bob. They didn't realize it was us. It was you guys. That's the start of the live album. Mm. You know the meaning of live and direct. (laughs) Live and direct. Okay, so people kind of knew the band. We played in Jamaica. We'd done some sun splashes in Jamaica. I remember we absolutely tore down sun splash in Jamaica one year. And then we we recorded in 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 Jamaica. We were recording at at at, um Gossi Studio, Anchor, when it was at. Sly pro there before it moved. Um, And we were using Steely and Cleavy Mm. to do the album. And then people came. I didn't do a lot of playing, but Drummy and Tony could go and play with different musicians um, because for me to go out, it looked like the band is backing someone. So lots of musicians would come and, you know, they would know us and we, you know, we're musicians. So musicians know musicians and, and sure. what happened. So, you know, a lot of people kind of knew us by, by that time. Mm-hmm. And then there was one situation that we went to do that. I wasn't really sure at the time whether it was the right thing to do, mm-hmm. but we went to be the musical part of the Miss World competition. What? Now, in England, mm-hmm. they kind of dropped all of that. You don't see that. Mm-hmm. But I remember that we did it. I mean, I even had, a, this is a true story. I'm standing by the monitor after we'd done our piece, right? And there was a girl standing, standing there. And I just turned and so you know, and you just make conversation. And I said, why didn't you enter? I said, you would have won this hands down. And she laughed and she said, do you watch? Yeah, I said, not really because they don't really show it in England. So mm-hmm. she says, Oh, and I, I get a little bit embarrassed now. So I said, No, man, I'm being serious. No, serious thing. You could have won this. And she laughed yeah. and she says, I am Miss World. <laughs> <laughs> she was the winner the year before from Iceland. <laughs> you know. yes. Yeah, Um. so we'd done this and then they invited us Jamaica to Jamaica for the um, the jammies because, mm-hmm. and Bonnie said this: who are ambassadors for reggae music? What are we? Who are not shy? So, they they the fact that we were there, and, and, and as a band who was, I suppose, they knew what we were about. You know what I mean? We're about far right, we're about truth and right, and 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 mm-hmm. yeah.
0: When did you, because I know a lot of times some of the songs you were doing um, leads and some of the times um, drum you would be doing leads. When Was there ever a time where you guys switching and said, okay, drum, you take
1: more of the leads and I'll just do guitar and background vocals? No, no, what happened, what happened, remember we were talking about the, the tune that I said, really, I heard Tony playing bass for the first time. Mm-hmm. It was um Roots rocking. Mm. Right? But naturally we have Two different voices. Mm-hmm. So all that happened is what fell into drummy, right? Didn't know at the time all of those songs, all of those songs I, um um your recipe, all of those songs and songs that I wrote, but it matched drummy. Mm-hmm. So it was it wasn't that later on when we got more commercially, obviously that side of it led the way. But it was something that we we just had naturally. There was no Okay, you do this or you do that. Um, if a song suited his voice more, he was more mellow, more the lovers' rock. I was more the rebel. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, that was how we. That's how we kind of
0: blended it. It seemed like you put the music above all. You put egos and everything on one side. Whoever is the best person to make the music come out best—that's
1: what we're trying to do right here. That—that's it. That's the only way you can do it. Mm -hmm. That's the only way you can do it, and and that's that's how it was. Mm -hmm. Even then
0: now, do you remember three big shows that you'll never forget? Either they were so amazing, they just didn't go well. Three shows that stick in your mind for the
1: rest of your life, you'll never forget these shows. Well, there's so many. There's so many. Um, I just remember one. This is the first time we are in Africa in kenya right um and this was the uh british exchange Mm -hmm. and uh kenyatta uh center you know the 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 shape looks like a a spacecraft and we're going to play outside and everybody said, no, nah, no, nah, nah, this isn't, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This is, it's raining, it's raining. Isn't it? And I said, no, nah, man, you watch when we're ready to go. It's, it's going to stop raining. Mm-hmm. And wow, what a show. What a show. Outside the Kenyatta Center. <laughs> wow, we were playing in Africa. Um, there's so many, there's so many shows. There's a show in Jamaica, <laughs> uh, the show Wembley Stadium, where, Nelson Mandela came down and said, listen, I had to come down to meet you guys. Um, And this was all the musicians. He Mm -hmm. said, when we were inside, when we were incarcerated, the music was what made us know that people were hearing and knowing about our struggle. So that gave us the strength to know that, yes, people are, uh, they know, they know what's going on so that was a big moment um the whole thing i mean every show if it was a small show we played it like it was a, a big stadium show so there's so many things and, and and what would happen we'll get together and start talking and say so remember this show when this happened and that <laughs> happened and this happened so
0: that's when everything starts to flow because yeah. everybody has a piece of the story yeah
1: there's there's yeah. so many there's so many shows and um you know, I, I I remember in Japan, mm-hmm. right? And um, oh my God, his name has gone out of my head now. Oh, <laughs> oh the actor that did
0: Blade Runner. Oh, i um, not Denzel Washington. Um, no, she, no, no, not Denzel. I see his face right in front here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, yeah. Wesley 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 Snipes. Wesley Snipes, yes. Wesley Snipes.
1: Imagine Wesley Snipes is in the audience, and it, yes. And then the next thing we know, they say, listen, we have some special guests for you. They've come, because I remember at one time we were like number one, number one, number one in, 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 in Japan. Um, and suddenly they open these doors and Dump Truck and two other sumo wrestlers come in. They're big fans of the music. Um, just just many, many different, many different situations. Uh, Diana loved the music. Um yeah. Just different, different people. It was, mm-hmm. you know, the, you? it's hard to, to say three shows because there'll be shows, I mean, wow, in the park. Um, yeah, so many. There's so many, so many muscles. Did, did you guys actually meet Princess Diana at that time there? Yes, 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 yes. What happened, we were at, uh, for the London Child, and... Um, I raised my hand for her her box, and then if you see, there's a picture of, of Diana and myself laughing, right? Okay. And she, we were talking because we had sent the boys some things from years ago, you know, some hats and stuff. And then she went, I said, can the others come up and say hello? Right? And she went, oh, my God, there's three of you, and she tried to grab it back, and that's where they caught that picture. If you look at that picture where there's just me and her, and you see her grabbing, trying to grab the box. So yeah, no, and then when uh, I met uh, her son, William. Mm-hmm. Right? He was trying to he was trying to get himself in as a bass player. He said, I'm a really good bass player,
0: you know. <laughs> wow, uh, so yeah, man. Well, The journey has been nothing but crazy. Let's get into this massive song here. This is how I knew me personally, as a kid growing up, how I knew this song was crazy. Don't turn around. We had a FM station called, um, Chum FM. They played, there was nothing, no resemblance of reggae whatsoever played on that station. None. This is an AM station everybody listens to. And I heard don't turn around. And it's not till years later, I realized that this was a reggae song from a reggae band massive song. Massive. How did you guys come up with that song now? Because I know it was originally recorded by Tina Turner. It was on the B-side of one of her songs.
1: Uh, This is an entirely true story, right? Mm -hmm. How it happened, we had just gone back to Ireland, and Chris wanted us to record the first Cut is the Deepest. That was his idea. He said, Mm -hmm. okay, let's, I think you guys should do that. And I believe he must have been talking to Jermaine, right? Um, not my Jermaine. I'm talking about Jermaine, producer that did a lot of the Buju tracks and stuff. And um, Jermaine said, I have a song. And Jermaine came with Don't Turn Around. And when I heard it, right? Well, to be, to, to be honest, what happened when I heard it, first of all, I went, wow, if Tina Turner does this, this is a monster hit. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to Albert Hammond, who is one of the writers, and I said, when I heard this, I said, oh my God, if Tina if Tina Turner ever done this. By that time, we were number one. But I was saying to him, I just thought, he said, but we wrote it for Tina. So that's how I found out that they wrote it for Tina. They didn't like it and put it on the Mm B-side. And she's one of, the artist that I have to say made me absolutely speechless, Tina Turner. Mm -hmm. Wow. I was, um, I know we're gonna talk about it later, but I was doing interviews for um, VH1, Mm -hmm. right? And had to interview Tina. And I was just like, (laughs) absolutely amazing. I mean, I, I loved that. And another artist that kind of did that to me, but I didn't get to speak to him. Was uh, Al Green? He just opened the door, and I was in a. And I, it was like, oh man! But anyway, yeah. Back to, you know.
0: So it's a don't turn around. So then it was really Donovan Jermaine that heard it and gave it to Chris Backwell, and then that's how you guys got.
1: Holding. Yeah, I think I think he he suggested, it. and when he spoke to us, I. Yeah, I, I don't know, because I don't know if he was supposed to produce it or what happened. But anyway, we had this track, and we ended up doing it with Chris. And when it came out
0: now, when do you know this is the real, this is the one that really kicked down the door? Because remember, you guys were doing good up until this point. You guys are doing good, touring around, doing all this stuff.
1: But this is now the monster. Before, remember, before it's released, mm-hmm. okay? We did a photo session and I absolutely hated this photo session. It was all purple and blue. It was just just horrible. Mm -hmm. And um, we asked for a meeting with the um, the then Mm CEO, which was Clive. And Clive was honest. He said, look, I, you know, just taken on this, I probably wouldn't have signed you had it been for me. If you could, you know, um, but what's the problem? And I just said, I just don't like these photos. Just, mm-hmm. it did just look horrible. So we sat together and we had a talk and it was like, well, okay, what are you, what are you guys known for? And we said, we're known for the hats mm-hmm. because down from beavers and whatever. And we kind of, for the first time discussed the look mm. of the band. And in hindsight, we knew nothing about the business. We didn't know anything about the music business. Mm-hmm. And being young Rastas, we were negative to anything that was commercial or right. we deemed commercial. Mm-hmm. And in reality, if you go to get a mortgage for a house, you've got to give a whole list of what you intend to do and how you can repay it and do whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is what happened to a lot of people who were playing music. They went and got a mortgage without any any thought about how this would happen or whatever, or what the actual consequences are on what you'll be paying for and what you won't be paying for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, commercial was a, oh, a no, no, we're not commercial. We don't want to be commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a business. It's a rat race. And it took, well, I have to say me personally, a long time to realize how I overcome that. Because if you don't get into the rat race, mm-hmm. you can't compete with anyone. How can you, you get out? How can you be the best 100, 100 meter runner, but yet you don't, you don't go into the Olympics? Yeah. The idea that you have to overcome is that you have to go through the rat race without becoming a rat yourself. Mm. So we found ourselves now in a situation, these were things that we never thought about, you know, our image or whatever. And we came to grips with, yeah, we we always wear the hats, you know, long coats. It it came out to that cowboy image. Mm Do you know what I mean? And then understanding that Hollywood's image of the cowboys was really black people. Okay. All right. Because the white cowboys were never called cowboys. They were called cowhands. Cowboy is a derogatory word. I mean, of course, there was lots of black people who they modeled the Lone Ranger from. They were, you know, these were the the bad boy cowboys who who the Indians respected because it was like a walking, talking buffalo. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that kind of was the image we had. And with that, we had a stylist now who started looking at what we wanted to, to do. And I remember at that meeting saying to Clive, listen, this is going to be the biggest track that we've had. Mm-hmm. I, I won't lie and say, I knew it was going to be a one number one track because that, that would be a lie. But I knew that this was com- deemed commercial enough to be, no, not even commercially enough. This was a big track. You just knew it. You just knew it. You just you just knew it. On radio, uh, you would have the highest climber on Sunday, mm-hmm. right? So obviously, at first, it was put out on the the. It wasn't put out on the Island label. It was put out on the Mango
0: label. Okay, so Mango is like the subsidiary to see okay. what happens first.
1: Well, I just think that was the world <laughs> music. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. you don't put you don't put stuff on island that's not gonna you know so we were out on the mango label first mm-hmm. of all, right? That's the number two label, you know the the, the cousin mm-hmm. And every week they would say and the highest climber this week is Aswad. they've moved from 20, gone up to 22 they've up five places and next week they're up five places again. They've gone to number 11. This is the highest climber this week. Then the next thing you know, and it just kept going and kept going and kept going. And the momentum kept growing. It was like, oh my gosh. And every week, you know, you're waiting now because it's going, it's going, it's going. It's probably going to drop soon. And then suddenly it gets into top 10, top five It's going. And all of a sudden then bam, number one. Mm. Um, And yeah, it's, you know, it's not that you've arrived, mm-hmm. but like in anything, we can, we have to do two, four hundred times better than our rivals. Mm-hmm. And to have got to the top of that mountain, you know what I mean? It's now you have to take us serious, you know?
0: Yeah. With a big number one song. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, a great time. Because mm-hmm. I know okay. you guys film visuals for that also.
1: Yeah, we did a music video with um with Bruno mm-hmm. and um, Bruno Tully was the director of that that movie, and we also did uh, Buffalo Soldier with him, and I did a, a few videos with him. Yeah. Okay.
0: And then now where did that really where did that song really take you guys now as a band in you guys career cuz now as you said everybody knew you from before cool but now this is massive this is worldwide what happened now when this came out
1: Well you know then your fans came out the door mm-hmm. they didn't stay inside the house again and say, as what don't oh, like what they come out in front of us Yes you know because it 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 was that it wasn't remember they could come out and say why i love reggae music mm-hmm. uh, you know 80s things was was beginning to move for reggae music mm-hmm. so you know we had the following because stage shows and and and, and stuff all around the you know the, the the country we had been doing you know so there was a lot of people who loved the band but they they didn't have the chart music to say, yeah, this is my band and this is what happened. It, it opened those doors that we became, um, you know, a UK reggae band. Mm-hmm. Did you guys with this song though?
0: did you guys perform on any of the like American daytime television shows or anything when you guys had that song out?
1: We didn't do a lot in America. We did some things. We did things in Italy and Europe and all of that. But Steel Pulse did more in America. I think in America, you have to stay in America. You have to live in America for a while. And we didn't really do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, we did shows. And what I found out, and it was kind of strange for a while, Mm -hmm. in Canada – all the musicians in Canada will say it's bands like You and Steel Pulse that inspired me to play music. Um, you know, anywhere you go, I remember being in Russia with a England's top musicians. There was Hedge from You2, um uh what's it from from Eurythmics, um um Sledgehammer. They're, they're, mm-hmm. of them we were there to do for uh to open some record stores in in in, um in uh sorry in russia i'll have to give you the the names and stuff it's all slipped me now but we'll come back um and we were in the airport and two guys were knocking on the window and i turned to hedge and i said i think these guys are calling you because (laughs) how, how would they know and they went, it turned out that they pointed to me and I went over, and we weren't deemed as a threat in Russia, mm-hmm. right? So they had released our CBS album in Russia, mm-hmm. and I think what I hadn't understood, we were in the business structure of the music business, so the albums of Steel Pulse and Aswad went worldwide. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember that we had an album in CBS that they had just done a picture of a face and scratched dreads on it and went to, they said, No way, you can't release that. No. And they went, Okay, no. And that's how Roslaf, we did the new chapter cover. Mm-hmm. Okay. With the flag and everything. Yep. Little did they know that we were touring places like Israel. And somebody came up with the cover and said, I got your new album. And the picture that they weren't supposed to use is on the cover. So, yeah, we were were playing lots of places, lots of places around the world. Mm -hmm. And because of that distribution, that's where kind of – Utes in Canada and, and they, just, you know, I heard that music. This was music I'm not used to hearing. And that made me, inspired me to play music. To, and to keep moving to, forward. Two good friends, as we're talking about inspiration, um, the footballer, okay, and um, our, our runner, Ian Wright. I have to go through the song to get the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I'm 67, you have to love him, man. Come um, on, it's awkward. So, yeah, I had been talking to them at two different times. And Ian said, why, yeah, you guys really inspired me that I could really make something and just go for it. And then Linford said the same thing, man. He said, you know, your music really inspired me to do it. Because you just, this is out of my hood, that they've got up and done something. Mm-hmm. And I had just been, uh, on a band for driving. So I was living in Bournemouth and I was heading up to London and I just had this song in my head and it was like a reply to them saying, go on, shine like a star car." you know what I mean? That's what it's about, mm-hmm. you know? And you will inspire the same way that you say that I've inspired you. And that's why Shine, a lot of people don't understand what Shine is about, but it starts with, I burn like a fire left in the rain. As I run the race, oh, yes, I feel the pain. Now, that was a homage to Linford Christie and Mm -hmm. Ian Wright, that are sports people. You have to, what we said before, you have to be four times as great as your, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's what Shine is really saying. It's saying, you know, go on because... Your work will inspire
0: other people just like you're inspiring them, and you're going to inspire other people down the road also.
1: That's what it is. That's what it is. It's It's about, you know, we are a great nation. We have done so many. I mean, this world wouldn't be the world that it is without our contribution, but it's been completely hidden from the world.
0: Yeah. One of those things
1: there. You guys
0: touring, doing good stuff, massive songs. I think your next big song that came out would have been, this would have been like, I think, 94, would have been Smile.
1: Used to be the smile on my face. Yes. Now that now, now, it's no longer a trace. ding. Yes, 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 yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. That came off of the album that we recorded in Jamaica. We recorded that album in Jamaica. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Smile. Yeah, it used to be the smile on my face. I see this is what I'm saying that, you know, the journey, sometimes it's only when you're sitting there reasoning mm-hmm. uh, that you kind of recall these things because. There's moments that people have that either they went to a show or people come and meet you and say, listen, we decided to get married at your show. Or, I mean, the other day I had two people there and one said, listen, I named my son after you. And the next person that was sitting there, he said, oh, I'm Kingsley's dad. And I know from Kingsley's mother, they planned to call him Brinsley, but changed it at the last moment. So there's this, there's moments that people remember. Mm-hmm. Because I can tell you exactly what happened on the moments that I met Stevie Wonder, right? Or I did something with Stevie Wonder, but Stevie Wonder's not really going to remember because mm-hmm. you, not not necessarily because it's a moment that has become important to me. But I he's understand. gone on doing whatever he's doing, mm-hmm. right? So it wasn't because obviously he can't see it. Then again, I don't know. I, I could speak to him, and he says, "Ah, I remember because we were talking." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so okay. So, did you meet Stevie Wonder at that
0: time, or this was after after you left the group?
1: Uh, no, this was this was um when we did the um. I think this was when we did the Nelson Mandela.
0: When we did the Nelson
1: Mandela, yeah, when we did Nelson Mandela, and then Stevie was had something when we were with Gut Reaction, and so we all sang with Stevie and. The the big one for Stevie. Stevie's birthday. Stevie's playing in um, in Wembley. In Wembley, not the stadium, but he's playing Wembley, uh, the, the other Wembley, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Paul and um what's it from Tears for Fears, Chaka Khan, Lindy Lindy Lauper, mm-hmm. um Shaka Khan and us. We stopped Stevie's show and sung happy birthday to him. Uh, yeah. yeah, man, you can't find two shot in here, bro, bro, bro. <laughs> yeah, man. You can find that on you can find that on YouTube. Yeah, no,
0: it's just amazing the journey that you've been through because you almost lived like in two different worlds while well, being a musician where you lived in the reggae world but you also lived in like the pop commercial world also so you were getting to see a lot of different things happening at the same time
1: yeah I, and I, I mean i have a good friend whose brother um his brother was an english her brother is an english olympian Daley yeah. thompson Daily Thompson. And Tracy <laughs> loved George Michael. Absolutely loved George Michael. And when they did the Wembley show, which this was the show before their big event, mm-hmm. right? They did a, a run-through at uh Brixton, Brixton Academy. Mm-hmm. So knowing a lot of the the uh, security and things, we ended up outside George's door, outside his dressing room. And Tracy's going, oh, my God, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. I can't believe it. And then suddenly the door opens and George Michael comes running out and starts congratulating me and saying, oh, my God, you're trapped because we had Holland pull up at that time that was on Capital Radio's People's Choice. Mm-hmm. So George, I didn't know, but George and Andrew had a reggae band. They had a Scar band in school, okay. right? So, I mean, another another person that, because there's a lot of people that love reggae, mm-hmm. right? Um, like the bass player for you too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely reggae. Um, but I remember uh, I used to go to Wall Street, a club in in London, right? And Prince kind of, came a couple of times. So uh, we were talking and I said, listen, man, I would love you to produce a track for us, right? And I know now from people in this thing, he, no, what I should say, he said to me, no, man, I, I, I can't play reggae like you guys. No, I can't do it. You know what I mean? Um, actually, Winterman Marcella said the same thing. I sat in an airport with him. Anyway, Prince went away and did a reggae track. Prince did arrogate track. So look for blue light. Look for blue light. <laughs> look for blue light, man. I have I am so I have I have a prince story, man, that's crazy. But anyway, go on. We're talking
0: about no no no, hold on. You're not gonna say you have a Prince story that's crazy and just tell me to go on. Nope. I, we need that
1: story, <laughs> sir. <laughs> All right, I was a big Prince fan, right? Mm-hmm. And I knew someone that worked for his management, his UK management. Mm-hmm. So I had the opportunity, I would go to the, you know, artist entrance and I'd be watching Prince. I, I Every show I could, i watched watched him at the, 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 the place in, in uh, LA. and So anyway, this time I uh, went to see the show and Prince, those who know, usually does a show afterwards does an after show where he would just play on drums all night he was playing on drums all night and then he might get up and do something else but he was singing i think it was just my imagination mm. and he kind of got off the drums and he walked in the, he, you know like you hand the microphone down to someone and he handed this microphone down to this girl and this girl opened her lungs and prince fell on his ass literally fell on his ass and went, it was Misha Paris, right? So I remember the, the next day going into Ireland and um, they were all excited because obviously Prince had asked to hear their music, uh, Misha's music. Mm-hmm. So I was in there. We had just come from Paisley Park working with David and Bobby Z, Okay we did for the little big man for this movie. We did this theme music. So, um, I made a joke and I just went, look, Prince and me are like this. Right. (laughs) And they went, no, I said, yeah, of course, I'll tell you where it is. I'll, I'll I'll call you. I'll call you and tell you where the party is. So I'm there. I, at that time have a phone in the car. So I go out to the phone, speak to them. I tell them gave them the address. And then I come back in, and one of the ShowSec um securities on the door. And I said, listen, two girls are gonna come who sent music to Prince, Misha's music to Prince today. They're with me. Okay, so can you let them in? Yeah, okay, fine. No problem, Prince. They arrive, right? Sometime after they arrive and we're talking and they can't believe it. They said, We didn't believe you, right? Because now I'm supposed to be. Good friends with Prince, right? This is, this is what they have in their head, right? So Prince is there. He's not playing that night. He's just walking around. He's got an orange suit on, and he's walking around. And we're standing there talking, and suddenly one of Prince's bodyguards comes up, whispers into my ear, listen, man, Prince wants to have a word with you. So I go over with the bodyguard to Prince, mm-hmm. and Prince says, what's this about Misha? So I said no. The girls who sent you the music, um, they they were here, and so I just you know, and I said yeah. He said oh okay, mm-hmm. and then I said listen, I have to tell you, Studio Two is wild, it's wicked, mm-hmm. and so now Prince is on a music tip, and he's saying that's the studio I brought from da 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 da. I you know da da da, and we started talking about music. So Prince and I are like two friends just chatting away, right? Because it's music now we're talking about. And Prince, is, Prince loves the studio. So we've hit it off and we're talking, you know. And I've I've met him before, but this was just this time where we're really getting into it. And he says, yeah, yeah we're just down with David and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, Dave and Bobby Z and da-da-da. And I said, listen, can I bring the girls over for you? Prince says, no, man, come on, let's go. We'll go with me." them. So, <laughs> so it all work out. You have to hear their part of the story, but yeah, this was what a crazy situation It's a crazy situation. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, look for blue light, look for blue light. It'll blow your mind.
0: Prince did a reggae song, blue light. I'm going to check it out right away. As soon as we're done here. Yeah. Crazy. You're doing your stuff. Another hit you guys got as the group now was, um, give it a little love. Now this song here, kind of almost reminds me of a hybrid between like Calypso and reggae at that time there.
1: Well, you know how it is in the music business. They were looking for something to follow. Um, Don't turn around. Mm -hmm. It's another song that was written by uh, Diane Warren and Albert Hammond. Okay. Um, And yeah, we were, you know, did really well with it. So, uh, yeah, it was just another great, another great song. And as you say, it, I mean, that song, I think even Ziggy Marley recorded it. Okay. Ziggy Marley, and so therefore it was, you know, it's reggae, but, you know, giving it the flavor, mm-hmm. giving it the flavor, but, you know, the, the, the success in America has kind of eluded us. I mean, we don't turn around, you know, of Bass recorded that after after hearing our version.
0: Yes. Yes. And, Noted uh, it. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So they had to the hit there with, with don't turn around, but, um, there's an As What dub on it as well. So, uh, on their, their album. Yeah. On their single. Okay. Bigs, you guys did all this stuff. This is bringing
0: up to wrong 96. You had left the group now. Was there any issues leading up to the leave or why did you decide to leave at 96
1: well there was there was there was things happening mm-hmm. and it's not a, a matter of leaving you know it's a matter of look maybe i have to walk a different road okay but you know like in the wisdom of solomon when two women are arguing about a baby solomon said all right bring the baby here let me chop the baby in half mm-hmm. You know, so I just said, "Listen, I'm not going to stop you guys from working, mm-hmm. right? When they come to see me, and um, so because I've never, I've never announced that I left or whatever. It's, it's always just been, you know, um, and I'm still, I still work and still do do things for the benefit of the band and stuff, so." Yeah.
0: So it was 94, you said there was some stuff happening, but it was more or less you, because when I read, it said for religious reasons, were you kind of seeking something different? No, at- I think,
1: I think, I think people, uh, people just wrote, you know, wrote into it or thought into it, what they wanted to think into it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? We are a close knit family and what is within the family is within the family. Do you know what I mean?
0: So, so you just, I know it's for PR purposes or whatever the
1: case is. Well, but there was never an announcement. No, we never, there's never been an announcement. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've never said that I didn't or whatever. And they've asked me several times and I've said, you know, when the right time comes, mm-hmm. we're going to do it. That was why it was, it was like a real, real shock when, you know, the, the passing of drummy. I mean. Although that happened, de- we lost Dennis Brown. And I called them up and I said, listen, they want me to do something for Dennis Brown. Let's go and do it together. Mm-hmm. So we went and did, did Promised Land for Dennis Brown. Okay. okay. Uh, Island 50th. I was working with Sly and Robbie and the i3s. Mm-hmm. And um, it was like, listen, hold on. We can't have Island Records doing that and we don't do anything. So we ended up being... You know, I think what was the difference? Most bands, there's one person who's the major songwriter, and he walks away with the lion's share, and the rest of the band get nothing. Mm -hmm. But way down in 82, I shared all those royalties equally. So we didn't have anything to argue about, like maybe lots of other bands would have who have that financial one person has financial security, one person has nothing mm-hmm. um, so for anything we could we could talk about anything, we could do anything you know something came up okay let's you know we we didn't have a situation where we were not not friends, in other words mm-hmm. you know it was just on a professional level, I guess
0: at this time you. Wanted to venture into other things, see what else was out there type of thing at that
1: time. No, it it, it wasn't even that. It was just sometimes in life, Mm -hmm. you know, you find yourself taking a different road to what you believed you would always be walking on. You know what I mean? Um, I, I moved away to Spain. Um, Like now I'm, I'm living in Poland and (laughs) You know, it's I believe that, like I said, we have things that we are supposed to do in life. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you would like, Okay, people say, why did you move to Poland? But I've just finished recording a track with um, what happened. I was doing a show Mm -hmm. with a Polish band that I work with here and I was in the dressing room and these youth were telling me that years ago they just heard reggae and they loved it. And the area that they came from was the area that started to play reggae music. There was reggae bands just like it was in labrador Grove. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or in Trenchtown. And the place is called Kludgeberg. Mm-hmm. And in honor of Trenchtown, they called it Kludge Town. And there's a track that's called Kludge Town that I've just released. Mm-hmm. That's just been released. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you go back and, Things fall into place. When we did the uh, Miss World competition, Mm -hmm. Poland won it. When they had their first massive reggae uh, show in 89, right, I was there, right? I ended up being the compere of the show, Mm -hmm. and this was in 89. This was their first, uh, when they had their first non-communist government. Mm -hmm. so yeah we walk we walk different paths and make different journeys we don't know why we're doing it maybe but there's all sense and purpose to it you know
0: at the end we'll all figure it out it will all make sense at the end when everything is said and done it will all make sense yep yep but you know you've got to be willing to get up and walk the walk you know that's the biggest part. So then now you left, you were torn doing all this crazy stuff. So then now you're on your own. What was your first moves now? Did you start to, what What did you start to do now that you
1: left? Did you take time for yourself, figure out what was your next moves? Well, I, I I was still doing music and doing shows mm-hmm. um, because that's what you love to do. So I've, I've been doing that all along. Um, lately, I and two other friends have started a foundation that's called helping hands foundation. Mm-hmm. And our, our dream is really to have a reality show where we, um, at the moment we're working with the school, mm-hmm. um, in Lusaka and the school needs work done to it. Actually, we need to really have the school, rebuilt. So we are working on, we got stopped because of this holiday period, mm-hmm. but uh, we intend to do a, a, you know, really to, to work in Africa. That's, that's where my vision seems to be at the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, in um, Musotunia, which was formerly, well, it was Musotunia, but they came in and they called it Livingstone, mm-hmm. but Musotunia, we're working with the, the women from Musutunya, the, the widows. Mm-hmm. And they've gone, first of all, they wanted to make school clothes, but now they're, they're going to breed chickens. So we're there to help them. We will ask the community to help to, to get this going. And we're working on the principle that, you know, you teach a person to fish or you teach them about the business and allow them to run their business and they'll be eating forever. Mm-hmm. So you know it, it's difficult when you have no social security or any help and and a lot of the women get into activities that they probably wouldn't like to but end up you know mm-hmm. so we we have these situations that is first of many we have another school in um in South Africa as well but it, it's early days, it's early days. So we, you know, we we the wheels are going and, and obviously, um, a new albums on the, on, on the go. So you'll be hopefully seeing me and touring in, uh, these coming months. I know 2022, that's when, um, Drummy
0: z he had passed away. What was your relationship with him up until that point there, if there was even any at that point?
1: There's been a relationship from the time he was six younger than 16 when he signed for Ireland. When he signed for Ireland, he, he was 16 years old. His mother had to sign for him. So his mother said, You sure you're gonna look after him? Yeah. Um, it was a very, very emotional time. That was my, you know, we are we are actually family. You know what I mean? Cause um my eldest daughter, right? Drummy's her uncle. Okay. Right. Drummy's eldest son. I'm his godfather. Mm-hmm. That's Solomon. Mm-hmm. There was, yeah. So, yeah, we, um, yeah, and I've always said, listen, we can't for years be singing about unity and what you call it and, and end up in a situation where, you know, we can't greet each other with love. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's always been, always been that, always been that.
0: Yeah, because what sense would it make to be singing about peace and love and unity and you can't have
1: love and unity in and your you group, much you know. less worldwide? Yeah, 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 because yeah. Because it has to start at home. It has to mm-hmm. start at home. Hmm. You know what I mean? So,
0: yeah, we we'll give thanks for that and even tony robinson what's your relationship with him now because he's the only l- one left now that was actually still on the road singing as as
1: what well him and solomon are working together mm-hmm. him and solomon are working together um and they're doing shows they're working they're working you know what i mean so they, they they're going on it, it's you know, you have lots of ups and downs, and you have things that that really, you know, kind of knock you off your feet. But you just have to get up and just keep going, mm-hmm. because it's not like it was before. Even Solomon, who, as I said, I'm Solomon's godfather, right? Yeah, Solomon's Solomon. No, Solomon's not a grandfather. Oh, Solomon a grandfather? Yeah, he could be a grandfather now, <laughs> but he's got two big daughters. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we're not. We're not looking just at that for our, at ourselves anymore it's his families within families you know what i mean so I we, yeah you know there's going to be ups and downs there's going to be things that 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 uh you know rock the foundations at times but i believe that the the love of what we're doing and the you know we've always said truth and right so truth and right must win the day you know?
0: Anything, anything can be fixed. You know, everything's not perfect, but you have your ups, you have your downs. But anything
1: can be fixed. If 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 it's truth and right, mm-hmm. you know, then you have to say, well, look, you know, this is this is how it is, because it moves out to the elms of right and wrong. Because man can't justify anything, right. but if it's the truth and it's the right, at some point you have to come back and say, no, that's how I have to see it. That's how I have to play. Yeah
0: definitely i know 2015 you were awarded a big award which was the uh, members of orders of the british empire how how did
1: it feel now to win an award like that it's again one of those things that you question should i be should i should i abandon this should i mm-hmm. and it goes back to the same thing like you know that rat race mm-hmm. and What really made me comfortable was that the messages I was getting from people was like, this is us, bro. It's like you winning this. This is us. It didn't feel like you just won this award or were given this award. And many people, many women, many people came to me and said, you know, this this felt like you lifted us. That you know, out of our our ends, out of our ghetto, you rose and you took us with you. So you know, they were saying thank you to me. So you know, I mean, I give thanks for that.
0: That was a good one, dear. One question I should have asked you
1: earlier. Sorry to cut you. I think this is this is what we don't understand. Every nation, right, barring us, celebrate. Right, I mean, you know, the, the Asian community, you, you do this and you, the children are, are, are named in certain places, whether it be the temple or whatever. And so it inspires people. It, it, it sets a precedence that you have to do the best you can in your life. Mm. Like my father left me with this saying. He said, life is a gift. Mm. And the way you live your life, is your gift to others. Okay. So it's important for us to celebrate, you know, it's important for us to celebrate the things that our nation has done. We have the internet and it's all there. Electric light bulbs. Okay. Do you know, it's, it's all there. It's Mm -hmm. all there. It's all there. And if we don't celebrate it, I look in Google and Google, you would imagine you, you type in dreadlocks mm-hmm. and you would imagine, okay, the, the, who would you say is the greatest known person that wears dreadlocks? Bob Marley. Okay. And imagine you don't see Bob Marley. That's wild. So in 50 years time, someone who goes there and types in dreadlocks, they will see a completely different thing. They won't understand why it became what it became. Mm -hmm. because in everything that's pushed to the side, you know, just the, the simple fact that, that the, you know, the, in Egypt, Mm -hmm. the original Egyptians were black and they found it the other day. And when they found it, the guy said, Oh, it it, it, is because they did x-rays and it was a Negroid features. Mm -hmm. And mid interview, he just went, well, doesn't matter. He's Egyptian. Let's, that's not important. Wow. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. And, and I know a lot of people, I don't care how, who turns around and says, oh, why do you have to make a point of that? Mm-hmm. The point is my son, my daughter, my daughters, and whatever, they, they have to be proud of who they are. For sure. They took that away from us or tried to take it away from us. Mm-hmm. Okay but no, we're proud. Representation matters. Yeah. You know,
0: definitely matters. I have two more for you before I get you out of here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about dreadlocks and stuff. I don't know you said you were one of the first ones out of the group to really say Rastafari with your dreads and stuff. Was there any reason in particular why you cut your dreads? Uh,
1: no, I was, I was, let's, let's go from the top really. Mm-hmm. Um, my first conversation with Bonnie Whaler, was he was explaining something that that Delroy and I were talking about. The very first day that I went to the circle, Mm -hmm. so speaking to Bonnie Whaler about Rastafari, this is what I was learning. Um, I was losing my hair. Mm -hmm. And so I had to deem it and say, you know what? The real Mm -hmm. thing of dreadlocks is in a time of a young boy's separation, mm-hmm. you know, that's when he, he went out and learned how to become a man. You know, if you go to the Nazarene, this is, this is what it's really about. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a, you're a, you separate from your mother, you become a warrior, and you learn how to do the things that you need to do, whatever you need to do. By the time you reach a certain age, you come back, the priest would shave your head, and now you're deemed as an elder. Because now you have the knowledge of what it is to be a man. So it was my time of trans making my transition from being a boy to a man. Mm-hmm.
0: Makes sense. Your your conversation, the way you see things, the way how you explain, is very deep thinker. You understand? So now I could understand how you were able to write a lot of these songs. Because it takes a lot of thought, a lot of thinking, a lot of seeing things slightly different than most people to those type of things, you understand.
1: Mm, like I say, I see things visually. Like a song, I would see a song visually, you know what I mean? So uh I don't know if it's the amount of scripts I've been reading or whatever, but yeah, I I I I understand and I give thanks for that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, man, definitely. Last one here for you. I know you and David Hines, and there's one other person, three of you guys in a group right now that's doing some music. Dallas yes. Dallas Dennis how followed. did you guys connect and say, okay, you know what? Let's put out some music together. How did that happen?
1: Joe ja whispered in our ears and said, David, Dennis, Brinsley, come, the no man, come. Um, it's a great situation that it just shows there's unity. Mm-hmm. It just shows there's unity. Um, I don't think it matters how we came together. We're all friends and we were on the phone together. If it wasn't yesterday, it was the day before, mm-hmm. right? David is in New Zealand. Dennis just come back from, from Barbados and I'm here. And we got on the three-way and it, all we are talking about is, yeah, man, we, once we get sorted, we got to drop a couple more music and then we can do, you know, get on the tour and scene again. Because I know you guys have music visuals and all those stuff out right now too. Yeah, yeah. And nothing happens before it's time. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens before it's time. So the fact is that we, it's there to be done. Mm. Yeah. Once the right time comes, we'll just do it. For sure. Mr. Ford, thank you so much
0: for sitting down and doing this. And so we could see how you've seen the world through your eyes, your experiences and everything. It's been so amazing to speak to somebody like you, because usually, I speak to a, like a lot of the artists from Jamaica and stuff like that. So they'll give it to you from their perspective, but to hear it from your perspective, coming from the UK, England, somewhere totally different, it's been amazing, especially the heights that you took it, nothing short of amazing, boss.
1: Well, well. Remember, we're still on the heights, guys. Mm-hmm. It's more to come. All right, so don't worry. Just hold tight, <laughs> <laughs> Mister yeah, yeah. Ford, yeah, yeah. formerly yeah. Chaka B. Thank yeah. you
0: so much for sitting down and doing this today. You understand? Ah, blessings increase, man.
1: Give thanks, Definitely. muscles. And why it's it's nice to be able to sit down, right, and see what you're doing because that's what makes me proud. It's the same thing that shines about, you know what I mean? If you didn't have your work in order, there would be no chance for me to sit down to to share your work with you. So I give thanks for that, you know, keep the fire burning, keep it going, man, because that's what we need. You're our historians, we need this, love
0: it. We put it all, because all the memories are there, we're just trying to centralize all
1: the memories and put it in one place. You know what, what it is as well? For years, we've been doing the interviews. We've been doing all of this to do with the publicity or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you've got five journalists in the room, right, mm-hmm. to bake a cake or to cook a, a meal, each one's going to cook it different, mm-hmm. right? But you're going to cook it closer to what I would enjoy. You're going to season it how I would season it. Okay? So Hmm. this is the big difference that that makes me overjoyed. Because remember, I come from the time when, why? There was no one else out there. There was no one there. Not just as an actor, but there was no directors. There was no cameraman. There was no lighting cameraman. There was no producers. Hmm. Now they're there and they can tell the story with our seasoning. So go on. Your champion shine <laughs> <laughs>
0: means a lot coming from you. Let me give you an outro and get you out here from this epic, amazing, great conversation. All right, blessed, Wow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Muscle, and this has been another Two Line Music Huts Entertainment Report podcast. And we are out. Blessings increase. This podcast is brought to you by www.twolinedmusichut.com.